Welcome everyone to the Oakleaf Women in Leadership podcast. Today we have an extra special guest, uh, Uma Creswell, who is a non-exec director on the OP board. So I am very privileged and delighted to welcome you as a guest today. Uma has over 25 years in the HR industry, has sat on many boards, which I'm sure we'll discuss throughout our conversation, and has mainly worked in the financial services industry throughout her career in both large and smaller organisations. So welcome, Uma, to the podcast. Thank you, Amy. It's really lovely to be here. <laughs> great. So as always, it would be great if you could just start with a, a, your journey so far and, and how you've got to where you've got to so far. It's a bit of an intro. So I'm a migrant from East Africa. I was born in Uganda. Um, and we were brought to the UK in 1972 and I share this because my actual my, my bringing is actually quite humble so I come from very humble and poor upbringing and there's a, a real story of migrants working very hard to excel and deliver and achieve so I think that backdrop's really important because it shapes the way that my career's unfolded um, and the other thing that I'm really passionate about which will come out um, is why I do so much in the world of uh, equality inclusion and belonging because when I, we were housed in Leicester, uh, when I was six years old, it happened to be the home of the National Front, and that was quite a tough environment to be brought up in. Um, but, you know, as I said, all these challenges shape and, and, and bring you to who you are now. So with the journey so far, um, I graduated in a mishmash of a degree, business studies, linguistics, and journalism, because oh, wow. I wanted to work in journalism, um, and fell into recruitment, actually, very early on, um, IT recruitment, because as most graduates, I needed money and I was living in London and so I moved to London for my first job to do in-house IT recruitment, uh, a job that I loved and that whole interaction with people um, and so it was a tremendous introduction to the world of recruitment and then I asked for a job, so that's my first tip, if you don't ask you don't get. So I asked for my first permanent job in personal as it used to be called in those days and I ended up working in retail banking. Um, as an in-house recruiter and then subsequently grew my career through telecoms, investment banking, um, always taking something with me to the party um, on that journey. So taking outside recruitment to in-house, then in-house developing into a TA, talent acquisition person, and then becoming a more generalist as my career progressed. So those were sort of the early, early experiences. Ah, thank you. Um, so we talk a lot about how people have overcome hurdles and challenges on this podcast. So are there any particular hurdles and challenges that resonate strongly with you? How long have we got? <laughs> uh, we'll just, quite a few, but we'll, we'll just share a couple that really uh, stand out for me. So I think um, the time that I worked in investment banking was a very different time to what it is now. And I think banking's changed and evolved um, so much these days. But one of the first hurdles and challenges I faced was being overlooked for a promotion. And quite blankly, I was told it's because I was female, which was quite hard to hear in those days. But it was a very different time. Um, so I think that that really did rock me in terms of my career and what I do about that and how I should sort of influence and do things differently. There was also a very difficult time in my life personally because I was caring for a terminally ill father at the same time. So that brings outside pressure and challenges as well. So I think that mix of a very difficult personal life, a tough working culture, breeds for a, a, a very interesting time in my career um, but again at a time when you learn a lot about adversity resilience and how you overcome that um, and I think the other main challenge that I remember and hurdle was when I had my first and only child and the return to work from post maternity leave was very very troublesome and I do spend a lot of time now around, around women that integrate into the working environment post having a child because it's a very different challenge so those two 
two or three examples really stand out for me about things that I found incredibly tough at those those specific times in my career. Mm. And how did you overcome being overlooked for the promotion? I think I I took a step back and looked at what I could have done differently and also I learned to challenge and be a bit brave but I think that comes with age and experience. It wasn't something that I found easy to do at the time it happened but in future years what I did is to build some allies and some support outside of just looking trying to do it all myself. So I think that that whole network and how you can have mentors and allies internally and externally to help you and guide you through those conversations became a real learning for me. And the next time I went for promotion, it wasn't just my voice that was asking, there were three or four internal supporters as well. Mm. So I think that's a big lesson that I learned, that you need to build that stakeholder internally when you want to push for that career or that project or that experience. But you stayed with the same organisation? No, I moved on. Okay. So I learned to do that in the second organisation <laughs> uh, that I moved to. Um, and I think at that time, you're a little bit older, you're a little bit more confident. Um, and I think with, with time and age, that sort of comes with building sort of credibility as well. Um, but I made sure that I always had some internal voices to support me. Yeah, great, great advice. So did you always want to be the number one or in a lead role? Was that kind of innate in you from, from an early age? Not deliberately, actually. I think I felt that as long as I was being challenged and I was learning, that was, that was good enough for me. I have held a variety of senior roles, so I've had lateral moves as well as, as, well as linear moves. Um, and it, they're both... All of those sorts of two t career trajectories, whether it's lateral or linear, has been incredibly rewarding and there's learning in both aspects. I did end up ultimately in a, in a number one role, but when I look back and think, well, if I hadn't had that lateral move and if I hadn't learned that, I wouldn't have got the global role that I've now got. Mm. So I think um, my, my thinking was always keep learning, keep challenging yourself. If you're starting to get stale or you're not learning, then it's time to do something else and go and ask for that next experience or that project. So no, I never set out to say I want to be number one, but I did end up doing that by a sort of series of different paths that I took, which really, really shaped my learning and, and helped me to progress to that role ultimately. Yeah, but the focus was more on personal development and learning totally. as opposed to a job title. Totally. Okay. So you mentioned earlier you, you, have, you have a child. Um, how have you managed to balance that uh, with work and home? Not very well, if I'm honest. Um, I think in the early years when I was certainly in investment banking, the working from home, the flexible working arrangements, non-existent. So, you know, being very transparent, the sacrifices and compromises, um, if you work in a fast-paced environment where travel is also very, very much part of your job, international travel, global travel. So it was at a time where it was all about presenteeism. Um, so you had to be in the work environment five days a week, long hours, otherwise you were overlooked for promotion, you were overlooked for opportunities. So I missed many moments of my daughter's early life, and I have regrets on that, personal regrets. But ultimately, I think, like myself, you, any individual has to make their own decision that's best for their family. So I built a, a support network around me. We had other people helping with childcare. I had a terrifically supportive husband. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I think there are aspects when I look back and think, God, I really wish I'd been there for my child. Mm -hmm. Equally, um, I did what I thought was right at the time, and I think that's all anybody can do is make the decision that's best for them at that time, at that moment in time. Of course, and I suppose if, if you were to look back now, with the environment that we have today, I suppose COVID has done some good things in terms of flexible working, do you think it would be a bit different? Do you think you'd be able to 
go to those events that you missed for your daughter or do you still think it's there? I think it's so different now. I remember the men in, in the banking environment saying, oh, I'm leaving early because I'm going to go and have a, a drink with a broker or I'm going to go and meet a client. Whereas the women that wanted to leave early to pick up their child or to attend a nativity play were saying, I think I've got a doctor's appointment, so I need to leave early. So they, they were sort of hiding behind... Um, reasons for leaving much more um, than the men were. The men were being very open. I think the world now has, has moved fast forward so much and we've got men and women who are raising families, mm. co-parenting, men are taking equal share of child rearing as, as women used to. And I think the conversations are much more broader now and it feels more comfortable to say, actually, I'm going to work remotely, I'm going to start late, I'm going to finish early, whatever it might be, because I'm going to pick up my child or I'm going to a school play. So I think the progress in that area has been tremendous and it's really, really much easier to have those conversations now. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree. I think it's easier to have the, the conversation, even if it isn't easier to deal with the work-life balance. So how have you found and developed your authentic voice over the last 25 years in your career? Well, I hope you've picked up that I do share personal information. I'm already doing it on this podcast. <laughs> I think by sharing my lived experiences and listening to others um, helps you to develop your authentic voice. You can only read so much in books, in research. Ultimately, it, it, that will only go so far. So I think that I've stuck to my personal stories um, be however meaningful they are and have been really um, open about what that's meant for me and in, in the hope that it encourages other people to equally then open up and I think when you build trust that way and share actual lived experiences it helps others on their journey as well it helps them make, make feel make, helps them make to feel comfortable comfortable as well so yeah. I've done I've done that on a few occasions and it's been quite incredible what you get back when you start doing um, mm. things like that so I think that's really important and you also build so much empathy and trust because you're exposing yourself and your vulnerability. So actually the other person also then feels comfortable about opening up a bit more. So that's mm. the way that I've done it. And I think there's some tremendous stuff out there with people like Brené Brown. I've got a favorite quote I'll share with you later. Um, so there's a lot of reading and things out there, but I think ultimately really opening up is a really good stepping stone to building that authentic voice and trust. Yeah, she talks a lot about vulnerability, doesn't she? She and does, kind of, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love her stuff, I think it's brilliant. Has there been any particular moments in your career when you felt that because you've had such an authentic voice and you are willing to open up, it's actually really helped you? Yeah, I think that when I've shared some of the personal challenges about my child and upbringing, it's certainly helped me to um, join some of the board, the work that I do on boards that are in the social impact in the purpose sector now. Because I think if you can share lived experiences around racism or upbringing in an environment where it's been difficult, if you then join a board that is looking for that, that lived experience, it does actually help you, tra you know, traverse that board journey a lot quicker. And it's been quite remarkable. A couple of the boards that I'm now on um, I'm convinced and actually I've had feedback from the chairperson that actually we really feel that you got it because you lived it and you mm. breathed it. So I think, I think as long as you're comfortable, it's always a good thing to be honest uh, and open about those experiences and share them. And, you know, this is, this is why I think I've got the portfolio career that I have now. Yeah, brilliant. So who, who's inspired you? Who's influenced you? So I have to say on the personal level, it has to be my parents. I watched them come here. Um, and really struggle with nothing um, and as migrants you know you have to work really hard so that resilience that work ethic 
that really striving for professionalism definitely definitely shaped by them and I'm trying to instill that in my teenage daughter with mixed <laughs> mixed results at the moment and on the professional side I've had some incredible mentors um, male mentors and female mentors and not just in the HR world I think when you're working in a technical uh, area it's really important to have a mentor that can pl- maybe help you plug that gap so a good example of that would be in one of my jobs, um, my risk knowledge and governance and compliance knowledge wasn't as strong. So I asked for um, a mentor in that, in that faculty, in that department, and that really helped develop my understanding. Um, so I think influences in those individuals that I had in dif- different stages of my career have really helped me to grow uh, and get that ultimate number one role. So I think there, there's an array of, uh, of people that have helped sort of shape you know, what I've done and how I've done it. Brilliant. If you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? We normally go around the 16 age. <laughs> right, well, there's, I think there's a 16-year-old self where I tell myself, but I think um, my younger self, I would be saying now, um, better to try something, even if it doesn't work out, than to have regrets. So I think it doesn't matter if you try something, it doesn't work out, you fail, you learn so much. In fact, you learn a lot more from failures than you do from successes. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd say to my 16-year-old self, Cherish every moment. Don't try and rush to, to be grown up. Um, brain drain your parents and your family and the traditions that you have. Because I'm Indian, um, in case people didn't know that, and I miss so much about not having my parents around. It's really important to have those traditions mm. because I'm now passing them on to my child. And treat everyone, even those you don't agree with or like very much, with kindness and respect because it goes a long way. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And let's flip it on its head. What would your 16-year-old self say to you today? I think my 16-year-old self, I've got a 17-year-old who's telling me all the time. Oh, there you go. She's telling me all the time. (laughs) Why are you hesitating? Just go for it. Be brave. Go for it. So she's actually very, very different, wired very differently uh, to myself. And and I think there's all those inhibitions and anxiety and feelings of doubt and confidence. I think my 16-year-old self would be saying, just give it a go. Give it a go. How, How bad could it be? How interesting that that's what you would say to your younger self and your daughter saying that to She's you. She's repeating it to me on a daily basis. I think there's, defi- there's <laughs> definitely a link there. There it must be. <laughs> um, so we come to the end of our, our questions, but is there any final thoughts that you'd like to, to leave with us? You yes, I think, yes, the Brené Brown quote um, that resonates deeply about authenticity, developing your authentic voice and just being yourself is one where she says, we're wired for story in a culture of scarcity and perfectionism, there's a surprisingly simple reason we want to own, integrate, and share our stories of struggle. We do this because we feel the most alive when we're connecting with others and being brave with our stories. It's in our biology. Brilliant. I think she says it beautifully, and it's so true. She does, and, and I totally agree. And I think you know that's one of the purposes why I, I started this podcast, so people could just share their stories. No two stories are the same. Agreed. Um, and we can all learn from everybody's stories. Thank you. Thank you very much, Uma. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye.